All right, good morning. Good to see everybody. I uh, want to uh, say thank yes, thank you for uh, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> That's very kind. Um, um, thank you. Thank you guys. Ah, you catch me off guard. I appreciate that. Uh, very much. It's very kind. Thank you for that. And, uh, you know, it's funny when videos you thought were long gone find their way back uh, to the screen. But um, appreciate that. Appreciate you being here as well today. I'm excited because we're starting a brand new uh, series. And so if you want to pull out the outline that you got when you came in, we're going to talk about Jeremiah. And I can't give you all the the background because we don't have enough time, but Jeremiah was raised up by God to be a prophet because God told Jeremiah that the Babylonians who were the world power were about to, to take captive the, the Jews. Israel had already been dispersed by Assyria. There was only Judah left. And so that's what Jeremiah did. He was raised up for that. He was created for that. That was his purpose. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks, and we're going to look at Jeremiah, and I think we're going to learn a lot about the world in which we live. And this weekend, we're going to learn a lot about our purpose. I, I put this in your notes. When God wants a truth to be told, a mission to be accomplished, a people to be delivered, a problem to be solved, a baby is born. And the journey of breakthrough begins. And that wasn't just true in the day of, Jer uh, of Jeremiah. That's true today. You are a truth that needs to be told. You are the solution to a problem. You are the one who's going to go on the mission. God didn't just do that in times past. He does that today. You didn't fall out of a tree. You didn't wash up on the shore. No, God intentionally created you because God's outside of time outside of matter, outside of space. So he sees all of time at the same time. And in order to bring about the answer or the truth or the solution, you and I were born. And so if we look at Jeremiah chapter 1, we kind of see this uh, take place in verses 4 and 5. It says, the Lord gave me this message. And so this is God speaking to Jeremiah. God says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to, and circle that last word, nations. Now, there was only one nation. There was Judah. Out of the 12 tribes, Judah was just made up of three of them. Of course, Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin. And yet God says, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. He immediately reminds Jeremiah that God often thinks bigger than we do. And I just want to start there because I want to challenge you to think bigger maybe than you are because God thinks that about you. Wherever you have drawn the box, wherever you have put the limitations, you know, I could only do one, I could only start one business or I could never get a degree or I could only graduate from college or I, whatever it is, wherever you've put the box, God's dreaming bigger than that for you. And he reminds us right here in Jeremiah, he says, you're going to be a prophet not to the nation, but you're going to be a prophet to the nations. And there's three phrases here that help us understand how. 
we get to a place where we're experiencing our dreams, our destiny, and our purpose, how we break through. He says, uh, there are three of them, I knew, and then he talks about setting apart, and he talks about appointed. Now, when he says, I knew you before I formed you, God's speaking to Jeremiah. So, and you can put this in your note, God knows you. Now, the word that's used for know or knew is a Hebrew word that is used a lot in the Old Testament. But when it's used, it's used to refer to the relationship between a man and a woman, the sexual relationship between a man and a woman. For example, it will read, and Adam knew his wife Eve. What does that mean? It means he had sex with her. They had sexual intimacy. So Jeremiah is saying, God knows you. And what it means is, is that God knows what you're worried about. Maybe no one else here knows. Maybe you've never said. Maybe you've never even really thought about it. But there are some things that concern you. God knows that. He knows what brings anxiety. He he knows what brings fear. He knows your strengths. He knows your emotions. He, He knows you. And here's the comforting part of that. Have you ever been asked to do something because somebody didn't know you? In other words, they ask you how to get somewhere that you didn't know how to get to. And you had to say either, I don't know, but, or maybe you told them something that you hoped would get them there. But, or, or if somebody were to come to me and say, hey, Troy, would you sing at our wedding? I would say yes, but you would be in trouble because you don't know me. Okay, I, I can't sing happy birthday, right, to me, all right? You, you don't, the only reason you'd ask me is because you don't know me. The comforting word is God knows you. He knows what you do well and what you don't do well, and still he has given you a destiny and a purpose. There's a dream within your heart. It may have been a while since you thought about it, but the dream that God put in your heart is not in the absence of knowing you. It's not like God said, hey, I'm going to put this dream in your heart, and it'd be great, but the truth is you're not smart enough. No, the truth is, is you don't know enough people or you don't have the right degree. No, no, God knows you, and yet he still put that dream in your heart. That should bring comfort to you because that can bring a realization that, yes, I am one day going to experience the purpose for which I was created. So he says, I knew you, and then it says he set you apart. So God not only knows you, but he prepares you, set you apart. This is for a specific purpose. Let me say it a different way. It's for a specific use. God says, I set you apart for this use. And so for you and I to deny God to use us for that purpose then is blasphemy. We often think of blasphemy, you know, as saying something against God. But really when you and I don't accomplish that for which we were created and he died, it's blasphemy. Because you were created to succeed. All of us were. That's what he tells Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, I I know you. And not only do I know you, I have set you apart. Here's the words you might read in the New Testament. Consecrate means the same thing. I have consecrated or sanctified. Sanctification. What is sanctification? It's preparation. It's a transformation of you and I becoming more and more like Jesus. And that's what he says. He says, God looks at Jeremiah and he says, Jeremiah, I know you and I am preparing you. And God would say the same thing to you. I know you. Therefore, you have a dream, you have a destiny, you have a purpose. There's something that you get passionate about, whether it be starting a business or starting a family, whether it be starting involved in a ministry. I I don't know what it is, but you do. God says, I know you, and then I have prepared you or in the process of preparing you. Because God's not going to give you something you're unprepared for. 
Because remember this, here's success. Here's God's definition of success. It's not just arriving there, but it's being able to enjoy the arrival. See, there's a lot of people that we look at and we say, well, they seem successful. They've got a big house or they've got the kind of car you want or they have the kind of job or business that you'd like to have. But they don't enjoy it. I mean, you, they, they don't seem happy. Their marriage is not peaceful. Their kids don't have a sense of joy. God doesn't just want you to arrive. He wants you to be able to have joy and peace when you get there. Because that's the only way he gets glorified. It's not just by getting there, but it's by you and I actually being able to enjoy it when we get there. And then the last word that he uses is the word appointed. I set you apart, I am preparing you, and I appointed you. And, and this carries the idea that God has a purpose for you. I appointed you, Jeremiah, to be a prophet to the nations. This is very specific. He doesn't, say, he doesn't just say, Jeremiah, I know you. And I am preparing you and, you know, go for it. No, no, he says, I know you. And because I know you, I'm preparing you for a specific task. You are going to be a prophet to the nations. And you and I are the same way. You have a specific dream. There's something that resonates in your heart. There is something you see in your mind. You have that, and you have that because God has placed that there because he created you to accomplish that. That's why you have it in your heart. He created that within you. That's what he tells Jeremiah, but Jeremiah's not the only one he tells that to. He tells it to David as well in Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, David says, you have examined my heart, and what's that next word? Same word, same Hebrew word that carries the idea of intimacy. David says, you know, you know everything about me. You made all my delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well you know it. What is David saying? David's saying, I see God at work in me. God knows me. And he is moving me towards my destiny. Right? David knew he was going to be king long before he was king. The journey of preparation for David wasn't easy, but he was able to persevere. Why? Because he had great confidence that he would arrive. I mean, he was chased by Saul. He was forgotten by his brothers. He had as a kid to stand in front of Goliath. I mean, he had all of these incredible challenges, and yet he overcame every one of them. Why? Because he knew that God knew him, that God was preparing him, and that there was a purpose for him. But David and Jeremiah aren't the only ones you have in the New Testament. Paul, Galatians 1.15, Paul says, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me. And by his marvelous grace, then it pleased him. So, so think, first of all, Paul says, God called me and he chose me. So God knows me, and then he has set me apart. He is preparing me, Paul says. The same is true for you, is God is preparing you for that dream. You are that solution. You are that mission. You are the one. And that's so important. So you got Jeremiah, you got David, you got Paul, and you have you. Well, how does it happen? And we could look at God, we could do a series on all of this, but we're going to look at the middle one, that God sets you apart. Because I think that's where we struggle the most, is in the preparation I think that's where some folks don't persevere. And I think, and I know this, right? You know, most of the people you know don't live their dream. They don't have, they wouldn't, they wouldn't say they have dream marriages. 
or they find their families to be dreamy, or they have dream jobs, or they look at their bank account and they're just like, whoa, dream, dream on, right? So, so why? Why is that? It's because God is not going to give to you or to me anything we're not prepared for, because it will just destroy us. He gets no glory in that. Right? Somebody declaring themselves to be a Christian who goes through incredible um, brokenness. So God says, I'm going to take you on a journey to prepare you, to, to sanctify you. This transformational process. So I want us to talk about that. And the way we're going to talk about it is we're going to talk about, we're going to compare it to the same way that we mature as people physically. Right? There's a difference between being a baby and being a teenager. And there are certain aspects to each one of those phases. Well, the same thing is true spiritually, but it has nothing to do with age. There are a lot of 50-year-old spiritual babies that are a long way from their dream. Because remember, your dream is the spiritual aspect of your life. Because your dream comes from your creator. Because he knows you. That's why you dream about something different maybe than I do. You dream about something different than the person that's sitting in the desk right next to you. You dream something different than the, than the, the brother or sister you grew up with. Why? Because God made you specifically, so he's preparing you for that. So let's talk about this preparation, but compare it to the way that we mature, because that's what preparation is. It's about us maturing to the point to where we can experience that in which we have dreamed about. And we're going to start with where we all start Physically, I, I put in your outline, this preparation is called sanctification. That's kind of the Bible word, all right? Then we're going to start with infancy. How, how many of you were born at one time in your life? Right? All of us. We were all born. And that's why I brought this right here. Okay? This is a high chair. And most of us have sat in some type of one of these at some point in our life. And what, do you, what happens in the high chair? Your children play with their food, right? Here, and you put in like it's an airplane, open up, it's coming into the hangers, and you, you try to get them to eat. And the kids eat, why? So that they can get nutrients which do what? Mature them, it makes them strong. If they don't eat, they don't grow, right? So the same thing happens when you and I need nutrients so that we can mature or we can grow into the person who can live the dream that God has put inside of our heart or to accomplish the purpose. We have to mature. Now, I want you to look at what this scripture says because the problem is, is that many of us never get out of the high chair. We spend our, and we wonder why we're not living our dream. And the reason is because we're still in the infant stage. You're, you're still a baby. God's not gonna, right there, some things you just don't give babies. You don't give babies keys to your car. Does it matter how many cars you have? Doesn't. It's because they're not ready, right? There are certain toys that babies can't have because what are they going to do? Stick them in their mouth, right? It's going to cause them harm. Now, are you being cruel because you don't give it to them? And will you one day give it to them? Yes. When they do what? Yeah, when they mature. Well, do you think God does it any differently? Right? You're complaining. I'm complaining. God, it's not fair. It's not fair. And God's saying, grow up for goodness sake. Mature for goodness sake. I want to give it to you, but you're not, you're not mature enough. And if I give it to you, now, just like every baby, you think you can handle it. Right? 
Have you ever had little babies say, you know what, mommy, you're right. Thank you for not, no, no. They keep crying, holding their hand out. They think they can handle it. And you and I do the same thing. And I want to show you in Scripture. Look with me. Hebrews chapter 5. The writer of Hebrews says, There is much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Now, that's amazing, right? Here you have the writer of Hebrews saying, I got more for you. I want to tell you how to have a great marriage. I want to tell you how to break through financially. I want to tell you how to be an incredible parent. I want to tell you how to do relationships. I want to tell you how to make progress in that business. But you're just a baby. You won't understand. You're not growing. You're not maturing. You're still in the baby chair. You're still in the high chair. That's what he says. Verse 12, you have been believers so long that you ought to be teaching others. But instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. He, he, he goes on, he says, you're like babies who need milk and can't eat solid food. Now, Paul's getting pretty serious, right? Because, see, there are really three stages. First of all, you get fed. But then, as you mature, you do what? You feed yourself. Is it not weird to see a 25-year-old have his mom with a little baby food jar saying, open up, the airplane's coming in. He's like, oh, no, there's something wrong. There's a disease. There's, there's something wrong there. And yet that's many of us, right? I, 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 it's, not, it's, very, it's common often to hear folks say, you know what? I, I, I just, even sometimes you'll hear folks say, I'm going to go to a different church because I'm just not being fed. Wouldn't it, what, what? You're not being fed, right? Now, wouldn't that be wacky if, let's say, a 40-year-old was to come to your house and say, you know, I'm going to move in with you. Well, you know, I'm, okay, I'm, well, you know, why? Well, I got to tell you, my 65-year-old mom, I, I climb up in the high chair, but she won't feed me. I mean, I, I climb up in there, I put on my bib, I mean, and I am, I'm there every day at lunchtime, but she just will not feed me. If I come to your house, will you feed me? That's crazy, and yet that's what we do. I'm on, I, got, I need to find me a church where I'm being, I can be fed. Now, how long have you been a believer? Well, I've, I've been a Christ follower for five years, and you still need somebody to feed you? You, you know what you call that, right? Baby. And we all go through the process, but if you stay in the process, you'll never reach your destiny. You'll never reach your dream. See, we go through being fed, then we feed ourselves, then we do what? We don't stop there, we feed others. We then have our own children that we are feeding. So let me ask you the question, are you feeding yourself? Are you feeding others? Who are you feeding with God's word? Who are you feeding with how to mature in their faith? Or are you still being fed? See, the highlight of some people's spirituality is coming when the dinner bell is rung. That's as spiritual as they ever get. I come to church occasionally when I'm hungry. Right? That's the most you could say is I am somewhat faithful to come to the church. What, what, you know what you're saying is I get, I'm, I, hey, God, I climb up in that high chair every time I get hungry. Right? Is it any surprise you haven't reached your dream? I mean, is it, is it really any surprise that you haven't accomplished your destiny? Your claim to fame spiritually is that you show up to church some or maybe even most of the time? 
Is that a sign of maturity? The fact that a baby sits in this high chair every time it's lunch or dinner time or every time that baby gets hungry? Right? See, do you understand that if you don't get, if I don't get prepared, God will not allow me to experience my destiny. He's taking me there, and this is part of the process. But if you and I get stuck here, we'll never live our dream. You will struggle financially for the rest of your life because you'll never mature. You'll struggle in your marriage for the rest of your life. You'll struggle in your relationships. You'll struggle at work. I, I, I think about how many people I have known in my lifetime who have died never one day enjoying the job or the career that they had. Do you think God intended that? No. No, he created you with a dream, with a destiny, with a purpose. He is preparing you for something of significance or you and I would have never come up on the scene. Oh, we gotta, gotta mature. Look, that, that's, I mean, it's just, it's just what he says. He says, you're like babies who need milk. You can't eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant, doesn't know how to do what's right. Solid food is for those who are mature. Underline that. It's for who? Those who are what? Mature. Who through training, preparation, sanctification, have the skills to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now, he's not just talking about the, you say, Troy, I know whether it's right or wrong to rob a bank. That's not what he's talking about. See, in order for you to experience your dream, you have to know how to make decisions. That's what he's talking about. Do you move here or do you move there? Do you go to this college or do you go to that college? Do you date this person or do you date this, that person? How do you make decisions? Do you make this investment or do you make that investment? Do you go left or do you go right? I mean, all of these decisions that are leading you somewhere. God wants to nudge you. God wants to lead you. God wants to give you experiences and opportunities. And what he's saying is, is you don't know how to do that. And the reason is because you're still on milk. You're still in the high chair. Feed me, feed me. I hope it's good this weekend because the only reason I go is for what I can get. So, no, 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 no. You've got a dream. Don't settle for anything less than your dream. Do not go to your grave without experiencing your purpose, without living your destiny. And all of this happens in the context of family, doesn't it? Right? Don't you grow up? I mean, children experience their greatest health in the context of family. That's what God created family. That's why he created it. Well, you know, that's the role of the church. That's why I talk about how important it is to be here, not because we need you here. I mean, we love it when the house is full, but it's because we all need to be here. We can't mature outside of this family. Say, oh, I don't need the church. It's like saying you don't need a family. Can babies survive out in the woods? They might be close. You know, can you put, I grew up in Arkansas, so here's what I would used to hear a lot. You know what? I'm closer to God in my deer stand than I am at church because you put a deer stand up in a tree. So they were higher, so therefore they thought they were closer to God. And, and my thought is if you put a baby in a deer stand, is it, even though it's closer to God, is it going to survive if there's no family? It's not, is it? We need family. That's why it's important for you to be faithful here. You can't just come when you're hungry, or you, just can't, you can't just come when your diaper needs to be changed, you're hurting, something's uncomfortable in your life. I mean, you can, and we're going to do the best that we can to encourage you, because we love you. My heart's desire is for you to reach your destiny. I want you to experience your dream, but you won't if you're not committed to the family. 
if you're not a part of what God's doing. And you don't visit other families, do you? I mean, is that the way you grew up where you said, you know what, this family right here, they cook good food, so I'm going to eat here. And this family over here, they got amazing beds, so I'm going to sleep here. And this family over here, they got incredible cars, and I want to drive them, so I'm going to spend the day here. No, no, no. You have a family. And if potential church is not your family, find one that you can commit to. Don't be here and then be there and then go over there and and just go to wherever the food's best or whoever's got the best beds or whoever has the nicest cars. Find your family. Because it's in that context that you move from the high chair to what's next? Toddlerhood, if you want to jot that down. And in toddlerhood, the terrible twos, we do what? We learn how to walk. Do you remember when you or one of your children got put into the walker? It was exciting at first, wasn't it? And then you realized that they could run over your toes and run into the dog. And if you had two kids about this age, they played bumper cars with them. And I mean, and then you're like, but why do you put them in this? You put them in this so that they can realize there's a big world out there. There's more of a world than the the little blanket that you can roll over on and go goo goo gaga. No, 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 there's a whole world. And so you put them into the walker and all of a sudden they realize that blanket is so small. And they can go through all the house. They can go faster than when they can crawl. And then you take them out of the walker and you do what? You teach them to walk. And you're like, come on, you can do it, you can do it, come on, come on. You can do it, you can do it. You kind of lift them up, and then they fall back down, trying to get them to take that first step. We actually have a video here of when Steph and I were teaching Tyler. It's his first step, all right? So let's watch. There, that's his first step, all right? So we're going to put him back a little further and try to get him to do it again. But that's what you do, right? Now, if you didn't see, but Steph was on this other side, and then Nana was on the other. I want him to walk to me first, just like I wanted him to say Dada before he said Mama, okay? That was important. And, and, and you're like, well, and he's got to believe two things. First of all, he has to believe that Mom and Dad really want me to walk, really believe. They, they, the child has to believe that the parents are telling the truth. And that they, they're asking the child to walk because there's a whole world. Your whole world is on the other side of that first step. There's so much to see. There's so many places to go. I mean, your whole life, your whole destiny, your whole dream is on the other side of what? That first, that first step. Somebody, is that God? I, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> Right? So, that, so, so the child has to believe that. And then the child has to believe that they can. If the child thinks, well, dad just wants me to walk so I can mow the yard. Right? I can't ever mow the yard if I don't learn how to walk. See, because that's what we do with God. God's like, you need to take that first step. And what is the step? I, I, put, it in your, I put it in your outline when it comes to walking. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. What does that mean? Is it God is here and he's saying, come on, you can trust me. Take that step. You can share your faith. You can tell your neighbor or your brother. You can tell them about me. You can tell them about the difference I can make in their life. But what if they ask me a question I don't know? What, 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 no, no. And God's like, you can do this. 
And you have to believe that God, first of all, created you to do that. And you have to believe that you, you can. You can open out your mouth and you can share your story. The same thing is true when it comes to finances, isn't it? <clears throat> God's like, yo, come on, you can, you can be generous. I, I want to bless you financially. And you know what a lot of us say? God, you just want my money. It's, it's kind of like the baby saying, Dad, you just want me to mow the yard. The only reason you want me to walk is so I can do things for you. And yet, that's what many of us say when it comes to our relationship with God. God's saying, no, no, on your, on, your, on your first step of trusting me with your finances, there is financial freedom. There is so much. I own everything. Just trust, trust me. Come on, take that step. Come on, step out there. But a lot of us never get out of the walker. You never learn to trust God. And so when God says go left or God says go right, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What's that mean? Trust God. Take the step. Lean not to your own understanding. I know why God's telling me to do that. And, and it says if we trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not to our understanding, and all our ways acknowledge him, he will direct our paths or he will show us what direction to go. That's what God ultimately wants. I'll show you how to get there you got to trust him. Some never get past this point. They just kind of stay in their walker. Or they get tired. When your kids were little, when they got tired of walking, they either want to get in the stroller or back in the walker, don't they? I think we do that sometimes. I remember when our kids were little, Carson was, um, we, if, you, if you have little kids, you know at Halloween they, they get excited. They want to go trick-or-treating long before it's trick-or-treating time. And, and Carson loved costumes when it wasn't Halloween. So on Halloween, he gets up early. And he's like, Dad and Mom, can we put on our costume? And, you know, those costumes are cheap, or our costumes were. And it's like, you know, you put it on too early, it's not going to be ready to go trick-or-treating. So like, no, no, no. Eventually, it's time. And we lived um, at the mobile home park up here at Rexmere Village up on 595. And, and we kind of get them, you know, Bailey was in her stroller. You had Tyler and then you had Carson. And we're walking around and there was one house that had good candy. You know what I'm talking about? Not the little tiny Tootsie Rolls. This guy had king-size Mr. Good Bars. I mean, this is years ago. I still remember this. They had good-sized Mr. King bars, and we're walking around, and I remember they went up to the house, and all three of them got one. I thought, wow, that's impressive. And, but it was, we didn't walk very far before Carson, who had to go trick-or-treating, got tired. And he starts complaining. He wants to get back in the stroller with Bailey. And then he's like, Dad, can we just go home? I'm tired. I'm just like, Carson, we just got out here. No, Dad, can we go? And I'm like, Carson, we're going to go one more time to the guy that gives good candy. We're not going home until we get another good king size Mr. Goodbar. And, and, and I remember as we were, you know, walked around and we're going up in our driveway and Carson looks up at me and I, I don't know how old he was, five, six. He says, you know what, Dad? He says, I, I like Christmas a lot better than I do Halloween. And I thought, well, why? What's his little mind thinking? I said, well, why is it that you like Christmas better? And he's like, well, at Christmas time, Santa delivers. But on Halloween, you have to go get it yourself. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of us are like that, right? We're waiting for God to deliver. We, we want to get back up in the walker. We want to get into the so God zap me with success, zap me with my destiny. And God's saying, come on, take that step. So we go from infancy to toddler, toddlerhood, and then what? We become a child. And what I brought as, uh, to represent children is, is some toys, you know, these are not the toys kids play with today, they're all on their computer, but these are uh, the, the, the physical toys. 
dump truck. Any of you ever play Candyland when you were little, right? And uh, uh, all these kind of things. And, and it's through these toys, again, this, that we play with other kids. And as we're playing with other kids, there's a lot that we learn. Look with me in your scripture, Romans chapter 15. It says, those of you who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand. That's what we learn. He, Paul is talking here, and he's talking about how we do life together. And as we're doing life together, we get the skills. We are prepared to succeed. He says, uh, and do not do just what is most convenient. Right? When you're a child and you all of a sudden have to play with your brothers, or if you don't have brothers, play with other kids, you learn it's not about you only. There are other children in this world. There are other people in this world. And God wants us to have that skill so that when we succeed, we can leverage our success to make a difference. It says strength is for service. Or you could say success is for service. Your purpose is for service, not status. Each, uh, each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us and ask ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles. No, he waited right in and he helped out. I think Romans tells us there are a couple of things that we learn as children when we're playing with the games and with other kids. The first thing we learn is responsibility. The word responsibility simply means this, being accountable. Responsibility is where we learn how to respond to what's going on around us. When you're, when you're an infant and many times even when you're a toddler, it's all about you. Mom and dad are both looking after you, you know, walk to me, walk to me, jump to me, jump to me, say mommy, say daddy, get up in the middle of the night, right? When your child's a teenager, you're going to get up in the middle of the night and feed them. They come in and say, hey, mom, I'd like a fried bologna sandwich. That's what we used to eat in Arkansas. You want a fried bologna sandwich, I, you're not going to jump out of bed. But when they're an infant and they say, mommy, I'm hungry, ah, you jump out of bed, Right? So it's as, you're, as you become a, a child, you begin to realize it's not all about me. Every time I cry, people aren't going to respond. I need to be responsible. I need to be accountable. I want you to learn right from wrong. It's not right to fight. Right? That's the first inclination of children often. It's got to learn how not to fight. I think the next thing that we learn in Romans 15, he talks about, is to serve and be served. It's to help and be helped. In other words, if you're going to be helped, you have to be humble. You have to get to a point in your life where you're willing to say, hey, I need your help. I need your help. Can you help me? I want to hear what you have to say. I'm humble enough to say, really, I don't have all the answers. And if you and I never get to that, we'll never mature beyond childhood. I mean, think about it. Here at Potential Church, there are all these different events, all these different seminars, all these different groups, all these things. Why do we do these things? I mean, why do you think that we do these things? We do these things to help. I mean, there are some of us maybe who have struggled financially for decades. We do this seminar called Financial Peace University. It talks about saving. It talks about how to pay your bills. It talks about how to invest. It talks about every aspect of finances. You've struggled for two decades and you're unwilling to ask for help and come to that class. You're unwilling to humble yourself and acknowledge, you know what, I need some insight. I need someone who has some answer, someone who's a little further down the road than I am to teach me some things. Listen, do you believe that God's gonna just zap you with financial success? 
that is just going to fall out of the sky? If you and I knew how to experience it, we would already be experiencing it. If you know how to tie your shoes, you're tying your shoes. If you don't know how to tie your shoes, you're not tying your shoes. And until you learn how to tie your shoes, you will never tie your shoes. No matter how much you think you know how to tie your shoes, if you don't, you won't. Same thing's true with finances, marriage, parenting. I mean, that's why all these things that we have, but it takes humility, doesn't it? You know what? I need some help. That's what we learn in childhood. Not just physically, but spiritually. But then we also learn how to help other people. And in order to do that, you have to have confidence. You have to believe that there's something in you that's the answer for somebody else. There's a solution in you. You're not just here today for what you received. You're here today because you believe that God created you. And therefore, you have the answer for some of these incredible people. But if all you and I do is come every weekend and we sit in the chair and we, the high chair, and we're like, God, feed me, feed me. This is about me. I'm all about me. I don't have time to serve. I don't have time to be engaged. I don't have time to be in a group. I don't have time. It's just all about me. Listen, we all go through that phase, but if you stay there, you'll never reach your destiny. You have to realize you've got a story to tell. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. It doesn't matter whether your birth is a result of of, of, you know, violence or your, it was planned or your parents were like, whoo, how'd that happen? God knit you together in your mother. You've got solutions. And in being a solution for others, you find your own. But some of us never get past childhood. I mean, you've been a believer for how long and you've never been to a group. You've never done any more than come and occasionally when you're hungry or when you're hurting, sit in that chair. I'm not angry at you. I hurt just like when it's just like seeing a 50-year-old man that's still asking his mom to change his diapers and asking dad to get out the spoon and open up the baby food. When you see that, what happens? You, you have compassion. You're like, there's something wrong there. The same thing is true in our lives, except for God created all of us to succeed. Where physically there are limitations, but when it comes to the spiritual aspect of your purpose or your destiny, there is no limitation. We were all created to succeed. Then there's adolescent. Well, and the last thing we learn, we learn responsibility. We learn um, how to help and be helped. But then we learn to share too, don't we? When we're in childhood, right? If you take one of your kids to a play date and they bring their truck and they hold it like this, and every time a child gets near them, they're like, no, mine. But they don't just stop there. They go get all the other kids' toys. And they put them in the back of their dump truck. And they push it around. And anytime time another kid tries to get their own toy, they're like, no, mine. Now, do you stand there and say, that's my boy. He rules the world. No, you're like, son, daughter, you have to share. Like, no, no, I only have one daddy. And you're kind of like, well, son, listen, I'm your father. I'm your mother. I can buy you another truck if they break that one. Don't, don't worry. Now, the only reason children don't share is because they either don't believe you and me as parents will either do that or can do that. It's kind of like when you go to McDonald's and you get French fries. I mean, they're addictive. I don't know what they do, but they're addictive, right? And your little child gets supersized fries, and you walk up and you're like, hey, can I have one? No. What? What? what, what? No, Daddy. I only have a hundred. I'm hungry. 
Why, why? What would, son, listen, you don't understand. I can buy you all kinds of French fries. The only reason your son or daughter doesn't share is because either they don't believe you can or you will. Don't we do the same thing with God? God says, I want you to share. Why do you think I gave you that job? I want you to share. Why, why do you think I gave you those resources? No, it's mine. Why do you do that? Well, you either believe that God won't bless you or that he can't. You're just like your child. You're in childhood. And as long as you stay there, you'll never reach adulthood. You'll never mature to the point to live your dream. You'll spend your whole life hanging onto your truck, not realizing that your heavenly father can buy you as many trucks as you want. If your truck gets broken, if you give away resources, God has plenty um, to help you and I do whatever it is we need to do, whether it be pay the mortgage or send our kids to college. But there's trust involved in that, right? And that's, that's, there's maturity, there's growth. Just like our kids, they got to grow to understand that. And they have to grow to learn that. And then we go to adolescence. And, and it kind of symbolized adolescence. I put a door, and it says the principal. And my principal growing up was Mr. Jenkins. How many of you have ever been to the principal's office? Yes. It's never a pleasant experience, is it? Right? You go to the principal's office, and you know that when you get there, there is trouble. Rarely does a principal invite you into their office to say, you go, girl, right? Usually there is trouble. And that means that if you're going to the principal's office, first there was probably trouble with another student. And then there was trouble with a teacher. Now there's trouble with the principal. And when you get home, there's trouble with mom and dad. So there is trouble surrounding you. And that's exactly what James says about adolescence. He says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests, when challenges come at you from all sides. In other words, when trouble happens, when you're under pressure, your faith life is forced out into the open. In other words, what does trouble do? It is a revelation. It reveals to you and me who we really are, how much confidence we really have. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Don't miss that. Underline that. Because some of us are here are trying to get out from underneath the very thing that God has brought into our lives to prepare us for the destiny he created us for. And as long as in adolescence you try to run away, you try to hide from the principle, you will never experience all that God has for you. That's what James is saying. That trouble's not by accident. As teenagers, you learn how to deal with life, trouble. Girlfriend's breaking up with you, your heart hurting, teachers being unfair, right? all that stuff. Same thing's true spiritually. The temptation is to quit. Temptation is to go to God and say, God, it's unfair. That's what, our kid, that's what teenagers do, right? That teacher doesn't like me, Mom. That's the reason I got a B instead of an A. If they really liked me, I got an A. They gave Johnny an A. Johnny did worse than I did. And some of you actually believe that, all right? But, right, as a teenagers, we, 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 we learn how to deal with that. Now, there's another aspect to going to the principal's office, and, and I don't know, they don't do this too much today, but they did when I was in school, is principals had paddles. How many of you ever got a paddling in school, right? Same ones that went to the principal's office, okay? I got one paddling when I was in school. <clears throat> it was from our English teacher, Mrs. Elkins. Now, I have forgiven her, of course, but... Uh, <laughs> right now look what the scripture has to say about discipline Hebrews chapter 12 it says look in your outline God is what he's what yeah so this is the board of education right 
Discipline is education. He says, that's why you must never drop out. Listen, again, don't run. Don't run. Why? He's treating you as dear children. The trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training. It's preparation. It's sanctification. The normal experience of children. While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what? What's that next word? Is. As a parent, I did what seemed, but our heavenly Father does what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. What does that mean? Preparing us for our destiny, preparing you for your dream. That's what he's doing. That's what he does in all of our lives. This is good news. You do not have to fail. You were created to succeed in every aspect of your life. If you and I will mature, we will experience what we were created for. We will experience what God knit us together for. Discipline isn't much fun, he says, at the time. And I give a glory hallelujah to that. It always feels like it's going against the grain. But later, of course, it pays off handsomely. For it's the well-trained who find themselves what? Mature. So what's he saying? It is the well-trained who find themselves in their destiny, in their dream in their purpose, right? It's easy to say up here, but it's difficult when you're being disciplined. It's difficult when God's telling you to walk, and just like when you were a baby that we don't remember, but you were scared you were going to fall, you didn't know if your parents would catch you, you didn't know if they'd lift you up, right? That fear, that's when really our success is determined, and ultimately, hopefully, we reach adulthood. And in adulthood, what I brought was a briefcase, because to me that represents, it's time to go, right? It's time to go. It's time to dream big. It's time to be who God has created us to be. It's time to go after it. This is what we were all created to reach. We were all born, and we go through that so that ultimately we become mature followers of Christ. We become examples to the world that God is exactly who he said he was, and he always does exactly what he said he would do. And while there have been challenges and while there have been struggles, I continue to persevere, believing and knowing that one day I would succeed. I would accomplish the purpose for which I was created. And you say, now, Troy, how can I know that? How can I know that I'll succeed? How can I know that I'll have that financial breakthrough? How can I know that I'll start that business? Because Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. You are the best that God can do. And God has created you, not just the person over here, you to succeed. You're God's masterpiece. And he goes on to say, to do what? That before the creation of the world, you were created to do. You are his masterpiece created to do good works. 